assim. Amen. All right. I realized I don't have to have this mic on just so you guys can hear me, but we are, of course, recording this, so those of our family that can't be here, and I'm told the camera is on order, uh, so Lord willing, within a couple of weeks, we'll have a video record of this, which really isn't any better. I mean, people talk about me doing voiceover stuff like the announcements. I, I always figured that's because I have a face for radio, but... Uh, at any rate, uh, we're going to have video so people can watch along with us and worship from their home. Uh, I don't think that's going to be live. I don't think we're going to try and live stream three campuses at once, but it will be accessible. Listen, I know I just took a few minutes at the beginning of the message last week to pray uh, for our nation, but I just feel like I need to do that again, right? This has been an incredible week with uh, stuff going on all over our country, so it uh, doesn't hurt to pray twice in a row, right, for our nation, so let's take a few minutes and let's pray. Father, I thank you for the hope of the gospel. We just talked last week about how the gospel is what brings reconciliation. The gospel is what uh, gives us the place where we're all one, where we're all family, where we're all part of the same household. Lord, uh, our nation is in an uproar, and some of our cities are literally burning, probably as we speak. Uh, Father, nothing will change this but your intervention, and we're asking you to uh, be powerful on behalf of the people of our nation. Wrongs have been committed. Evils have been perpetrated. Uh, Lord, we pray for justice. We pray that justice will prevail. We pray for people who are hurting. Lord, I, I pray for the family of George Floyd. I pray that you would bring peace and comfort to their hearts. I pray for uh, business owners who've lost everything uh, because of uh, the violence that happened as a result of that event. And uh, Lord, there are so many things going on around us, we hardly even know what to say. But we're grateful that we can turn to you Lord, I pray for, for your people who are near to these situations. I have uh, seen pictures from friends of mine who live in uh, Columbus and other places, pictures out their window of things burning in the distance. And Lord, I pray that people who are your children will have opportunity to speak peace. And I pray that your church would be an example and a demonstration of what it means for people from every tribe and nation and tongue and language to come together and be one. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, somehow take all of the evil that seems to be happening and would you turn it to good for your glory so that your fame and your name will be spread broadly uh, in this nation again. I thank you for the opportunity we have to remember a bit of your great plan. It's, it's beyond us, Lord. It, it's so much of it is mysterious, and so I pray that you would give us an opportunity this morning to simply rejoice in your goodness and your kindness to us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, everybody loves a good mystery. Most of the, most of the books that are, that are the most popular ones and, and movies have some kind of mysterious element to them, right? They're, um, uh, it, all of the the twists and turns, and we love looking at those things. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle depended on people's curiosity for a good mystery when he, when he wrote about uh, Sherlock Holmes. And uh, 
You know, it, it, there's one thing in common with most all of those things, those stories, those movies, whatever they are, they, they resolve and you find out who done it, right? And we love a good who done it. And we actually love the twists and turns because we love figuring out as it's going on, as we're reading or as we're watching, oh, maybe that person did it. Oh, no, probably not. It probably is that person. Oh, no, you know, and it's the last person you'd expect all the time. And, but it, it's, it's fun to watch it resolve, right? Do any of you remember the movie Inception? Uh, it, it, I don't think has as much billing as uh, others, or at least people don't remember it as much. But basically, it, it, is, it is Dom Cobb who has figured out a way to go into people's memories, into their dreams, I should say. And so uh, they find a way to enter a person's dreams and plant thoughts and all this kind of stuff. And he had done it with his wife on one occasion. They figured this thing out. And, and when they got back, she lost touch with reality and she killed her kids and made it look like he did it, even as she was dying. And so now he's living elsewhere, hiding and it goes through this whole big deal. It's really, you know, very imaginative and creative. And they go into this person's dreams, and they go to this dream and a dream and a dream and a dream and another dream. And, you know, it's just, it's hard to even keep up. The way he tells whether he's in a dream or not is what? He has a little token, a little thing. In his case, it's a little thing he spins, a little, little top he can keep in his pocket. And if it continues to spin, he's still dreaming. If it falls over, he's hit reality because it can't spin forever. And at the very end of the movie, he finally gets this thing resolved and he figures out what's going on and he's able to come back home. And just as he looks out the kitchen door and he sees the kids and they're starting to run to the door, he quickly turns around and he spins that little token. And just as you're getting to the end of the movie, it just starts to wobble and then the screen goes black and the credits roll and you never know. Well, did it actually fall or was it going to keep spinning? It drove me crazy. So I haven't watched it very often because it's like, I want to know how that ends. Does he get to be with his kids or not? So it's a mystery that's left mysterious. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's pretty mysterious to us, right? I mean, we, we struggle to understand some of these things. And there are things that in the providence of God were left mysterious through generations, but he has progressively revealed himself more fully and more clearly. And this section of Ephesians, beginning in chapter 3, is one of those. It's one of those things that is explaining to us a mystery that for a long time people didn't quite fully understand. And it is the mystery of the gospel and who the gospel actually affects. Who is it for? Who is included? He's talked about it some in chapter 2 and we did last week, but let me let me begin reading in Ephesians Three. We're going to bypass verse 1 only because what we have in Ephesians 3 is a parenthesis, right? From, from verse 2 down through verse 13 is a parenthesis. If you wanted to leave that piece out, which we're going to talk about today, you could read in verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he's talking about what he just has spoken about, and he's going to get to what he's praying about next week. Pastor Nate will be here and will preach about that on next Sunday. But beginning in verse 2, we read this as he kind of interjects, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So we're talking about revealing the mystery of the gospel. Paul views this as a stewardship. He is assuming, he says to them, assuming that you know, you understand, you've heard of this stewardship. It was given to him by God and trusted to him, and it happened by revelation. God showed Paul what he had been doing all along. God had, from the beginning of uh, his time when he called Abraham or Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, had been building a people for his name from every tribe, tongue, and nation. But it focused in the immediate, and for the first few centuries, it focused on the people of Israel, the promise to Abram and then Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob and to their descendants. And so we had these 12 tribes and these these people grew. And throughout the Old Testament, there were plenty of opportunities where God said, you're to be a light to the Gentiles. You're to be a light to the nations. They were to let them know. But they got on themselves under the impression, well, but they have to become Jewish people in order to be part of the people of God. So they had proselytes, people who converted to Judaism in order to be part of the people of God. He, he's written about that. We talked about that last week. So we talked about how we were separated, we were alienated, we were people who were not part of the covenants and all of that. He gave this revelation to say, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near. So that's the revelation. That's the mystery of it. The nature of a mystery is it's hidden. It's hidden previously. The Jews thought God had identified them alone as the people of God. They misunderstood. And for centuries, not too many people really balked at it because it just didn't seem quite as plain. But now it's been made plain, he says. It wasn't made known to sons of men in other generations, but it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So now this mystery is revealed, and this is specifically, verse 6, that it includes the Gentiles. It is including all the rest of us, those of us who are not Jews. That's a pretty broad distinction, right? If you weren't from the nation of Israel, you were a Gentile. And This includes everybody. I love what he does here with these words. There are three words in this verse, in verse 6, that have a little little prefix on them. And it means together or with. Uh, I'm going to call them fellow things, all right? First of all, they are fellow heirs, which is how they translate it here in the ESV. The mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs. You are an heir of something that is granted to you. That's why the Bible talks about uh, our, our salvation as an inheritance, right, that's guaranteed for us by the Spirit of God. We, we are fellow heirs with the Gentiles. Romans 8 says, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons. We're children of God, and if children, then heirs, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are heirs of God's kingdom. That's really an incredible thing, right? It's amazing 
that God would make us his heirs. So we're fellow heirs. Secondly, we're fellow members of the body. Uh, verse, where'd it go? Verse 6, fellow heirs, members of the same body, members together. That has to do with being a part of the body of Christ. I love the picture in 1 Corinthians 12. We, some years ago at Coastal, we preached through 1 Corinthians the picture in 1 Corinthians 12, and again in Romans 12, and we'll touch on it later in Ephesians 4, is of the body of Christ. It is of this, this entity that is the thing which carries out the functions of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it describes how we're all different. We all have differing gifts. We all have differing uh, things that we bring to the table. And it has all this really kind of funny picture of, well, if, if, if all were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if all were uh, an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And, you know, I mean, all those, those pictures are really funny to me. You know, I, I think of like Mike Wazowski, <laughs> uh, this just eye just waddling around. It would look ridiculous, right? And it would be very ineffectual. But God has put all of us together in one body, and we are fellow members of the body. And thirdly, we are fellow partakers, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we are partakers of the promise of Christ, that he came and fulfilled all of the Old Testament law, that he came and fulfilled all righteousness so that when he died and was buried and literally came back to life again, and when we trust him and place our faith in him, we can receive the complete righteousness of Christ because he lived it for us. We are fellow partakers of that promise. It's a, a word that describes a joint owner of a household. We are joint possessors. The mystery is that it includes the Gentiles. Now he goes on to talk a little about his work as a, a minister of the gospel in displaying the riches of God's wisdom. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He starts by talking about his status, and I think this is really valuable. He says of this gospel, this reality of all people, every tribe, tongue, and nation being reconciled to each other and to Christ and being brought together in one body. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. It's the word we use to get a transliteration, and we call them deacons today. I was made a servant. I was made a, a table waiter, really. Let me, let me whine just for a minute. Of course, no one's going out for dinner very much right now, uh, and we didn't a whole lot prior, but when we, when we went, I, I remember that they used to come and introduce themselves and say, I'm going to be your server today. I'm going to serve you. But I noticed a change, I don't know, a year or two back. People would start coming and introducing themselves, hi, I'm David, I'm going to take care of you today. 
I've never said anything, don't worry, I'm not that obnoxious, but that kind of annoys me. Because if I'm taking care of someone, they're needy, and I'm the one that's taking care of them. If I'm serving someone, they're in charge, and I'm to do whatever they ask. I am there to serve, to meet their uh, requests even, and beyond their needs. I know, it doesn't really make any difference, right? They're there to bring my food so I can eat, and the less often I see them, the better, as far as I'm concerned. So it doesn't much matter, but... That's how he viewed himself. I'm here to serve you. I'm your minister. And he viewed it as God's grace. God, in his kindness, in his grace, gave to Paul a gift, and the gift was he got to serve. Some of you, maybe, maybe many of you, I don't know, are familiar with our, our backstory before we came to Coastal, but... I was a pastor for a lot of years, and uh, then uh, having left our last church, which was in Newport News, uh, I spent about five years uh, not in a full-time vocational ministry, did some interim work on weekends, but mostly pounded nails for a living. I was a carpenter, and uh, I learned some lessons in that period of time, because in the process leading up to that, I don't know if anyone would ever have described me as an incredibly arrogant person, but after a while, when you've been at something for quite some time, you, you begin to recognize that you've developed and learned some skills, and you went to school, and you got this degree, and then another one, and then another one, and, and then all of a sudden, I wasn't doing the only thing I really knew how to do well. And I learned a lesson that was very uh, uncomfortable for me to learn. And it was this, quite simply, if I never got to be a pastor again after that time, God's kingdom would be fine. The church would grow, people would be reached for Christ, it'd be okay. God didn't need me. That was really, really hard. Because, I mean, I had a doctorate in biblical preaching for crying out loud. I had a master's degree. I had this and that. I had all these years of experience and I, you know, this and I, that. And, and, and as we left our church, people were like, ah, it'll be no time. You're really good at what you do, you know, and that's great for your ego until it doesn't happen. <laughs> and then you're like, eh, maybe they were wrong. Maybe I'm really not that good. But what was important for me to learn was it wasn't about whether I was good or not or how good I was compared to anybody else but that when you're serving God, it's God's kindness to gift you with that privilege. I think that's really important for us to remember. We don't do what we do because we deserve to do it. We do it because God is kind enough to permit us to do it and to serve him. That was Paul's attitude. It is by the grace of God and his gift to me that I was able through the working of his power to be a table waiter. To me, and he was amazed about it, to me, verse 8, though I'm the very least of all the saints. I don't think that was false humility. I don't think it was a, you know, everybody hates me, nobody loves me, guess I'll go eat worms. I don't think it was a, you know, I don't think it was his, his way of trying to get everybody to say, no, 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 you're really good, Paul. I think it was his honest recognition. I, in and of myself, I still don't deserve any of this. But look what I get to do. The message is made more brilliant 
by virtue of the vessel that is carried in when the vessel is plain, right? Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 4? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So when God uses us in the lives of other people, when God uses us to share the gospel with somebody and the the light goes on and the spirit of God works in them and they come to faith, we're just glad that we got to carry the treasure of the message of the gospel. Paul is focusing on that. It is Paul's status that he is a, a table waiter just carrying this really nice meal to offer it to people. And he considers it a privilege. The end of verse 8. Though I'm the least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Three things he gets to do. One is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. He gets to take that which is beyond our comprehension. Why would God do that? Why would God take people who were his enemies? Why would God send his son to die on the cross and pay the penalty for the sin of people who hated him. That's a a mystery. The unsearchable riches of God's grace, the unsearchable riches of Christ are what we get to talk about. Secondly, he got to shine a light on the plan of God, which... He's already explained, right? He talked about that in in chapter 2, in verses 11 to 22. He talked about this this uniting of a people, a new body, a new man, taking these two and bringing them together, reconciling them into one new man. And there's all this incredible thing to bring together a people for his name from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we wonder sometimes, why did Paul get so excited about, about all of this? Well, here's, here's what the end is going to look like, right? From Revelation chapter, uh, what is it, chapter 5. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, speaking to the Lamb of God, to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It's... It's no wonder Paul was excited about his message. He was not worthy. Paul, he knew he was not worthy. We aren't worthy. But Jesus is worthy, and so we point people to him. So he preached the unsearchable riches of Christ. He he shone a light on the, the plan of God. And then he said... The purpose of this was so that the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known. He was pointing out the variegated wisdom of God, if you will, in order that, with the purpose that, through the church, mm, through the church, through this new man, through this new entity that was unexpected, 
The wisdom of God has shown itself to be varied beyond measure, and it's being made known, what does it say? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We're told a little later in this book that we take up the armor of God because there are principalities and rulers and authorities in heavenly places that we're doing battle against, that our warfare is spiritual. Part of what Paul saw as happening through the church was these authorities, these rulers, these, these powers that are not of this world would see, wow, look what God was doing, that they have not been privy to the plan and through what God did through these weak, frail human beings who were enemies of God, look what God has done. And thirdly, in large uh, part, he is, has a focus here on upholding the centrality of Christ. This was according, this, this whole thing that God is doing, this was according to his eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is his glory. He's in prison, right? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon, all written while he was incarcerated, while he was in uh, custody, and not free to be out and around. And the people to whom he's writing were concerned for him and concerned that he might be discouraged. And he said, I don't want that to happen. And here's why. I want to uphold the centrality of Christ. It isn't about me. It's not about what's happening to me. It's about spreading the name and fame of Christ. God's eternal purpose has been worked out in Christ, verse 11 says. God's eternal purpose was worked out in the person of Jesus Christ. So if we want to know what God is doing, we go back to the scriptures, we learn about Christ, we come to him in faith, we trust him, and we find out that God's eternal purpose was not to make something out of me or to make something out of Paul or to make something out of anybody else, but to make much of Christ. And we come to God through Christ. Seeing all of this, I mean, looking at, at this incredible wisdom of God in, in this incredible thing that God has done by taking the, the message of the gospel and through the blood of Jesus and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, taking all of these people, this incredible thing that God has been doing that we didn't understand before, we might be intimidated, right? I mean, who other than God could even come up with this thing, let alone do it? But we're not intimidated, right? Verse 12, in whom, that is in Christ, we have two things, boldness and access. We have boldness to come to God. Here's a thought. Someday, just for kicks, go to D.C., and walk up to the gate of the, at the White House and say, hey, listen, I want to talk to President Trump. And just start walking in. See what happens. You know, it doesn't matter how bold you are in doing that. It's not going to turn out well because you don't have access to him. But in Jesus, I come boldly because I have access to God 
that's really incredible. I don't think we, we spend enough time focusing on that. When I'm praying, I have access to the God of the universe, not because I've done well, not because I have a, a position in a church somewhere, not because I'm relatively good compared to some other person I might compare myself to, but because I'm in Jesus. I have access to God. I depend on my faith in Christ. I have no right to approach God apart from Jesus. That's the message we get to give to people. You want to get to God? You want to find out how to have a relationship with God? You come through Jesus. I know we have people that uh, will listen uh, to this recording. Man, I want to say and to, to all of us as we talk to people about this. We, we share the gospel with them. We are sinners. We're separated from God. We have no right. We are apart from the covenants. We are apart from the promises. All that stuff we talked about last week, none of it belongs to us, and we have no right to any hope at all. We're without God and without hope in the world. But in Christ, we come boldly and we have access to God. We become his very own children. And if children, then heirs. All of this stuff becomes ours when we're in Christ. So we come to Christ. We seek forgiveness of our sins. We repent of our sins. We believe in the message of the gospel. And we trust in Jesus. And God takes away our sin. The penalty of it is removed because Jesus paid for it and covered it on the cross. And we have hope, hope as in confidence that we can come into the presence of God now and that we will someday come into the very presence of God and spend eternity with him. Man, no wonder Paul gets excited. He takes a whole parenthesis just to talk about that. And then he's going back to what he's going to pray as this church family, as these believers in Ephesus live out their daily lives. But he... I love reading Paul because every once in a while he does things like this where he seems to kind of lose track of what he was about to say and he gets off on a tangent and his tangents are always like, I just got to say this. He's just like he's overflowing. So, man, I hope today, I mean, if you want a couple of thoughts to take with you, I hope today you will rejoice for three things. Number one, you're included. Number two, you get to serve even though you don't deserve it, even though you feel incapable, even though you feel like you don't do all that great a job, you get to serve. We want to serve better. We certainly want to grow. We want to develop our skills, but we get to serve even though we don't deserve to. And we have direct access to God through Jesus. Man, that's amazing, right? Well, I hope you, if, if nothing else, I hope you leave today encouraged and rejoicing in the reality of who you are in Christ. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And I pray that you would be pleased to just fill our hearts with gratitude because of what you have accomplished for us in Jesus. Oh God, I pray that we would go through this week being a light to others who are not yet part of the family, that we might share with them the, the grace of God and the good news of the gospel so that they too can be fellow heirs with us. Thank you for your, your grace and your kindness to us in Jesus, in whose name we pray.